Proverbs chapter 1, and we are going to finish chapter 1 today. That will be wonderful. <clears throat> that was a bad one. Okay. Uh, you know, I did think, well, maybe today I should tell another story about Pastor Dan there. And uh, no, I shouldn't. And now I'm glad because, you know, he's so nice. We're going to start in verse 20. And we'll begin reading there. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? And how long will you scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called you and you refuse to listen, I've stretched out my hand and no one's heeded. Because you've ignored all of my counsel and you have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when terror strikes. When terror strikes you like a storm and calamity comes on you like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then you will call on me, but I'm not going to answer. You'll seek me diligently. They will seek me diligently, but they won't find me because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel that despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat <clears throat> the fruit of their way and they will have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away. The complacency of the fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure. They will be at ease without the dread of disaster. Let's pray. Father, we love you. <clears throat> Thank you for the grace that you show us each day, Lord. Uh, you've let us do so many fun things this week that we don't deserve and uh, we couldn't earn. You've given us this planet that is amazing to live on. It, life is interesting. You, you built an ecosphere where we can have food and it's the right temperature. You've built our bodies amazingly to do all the things we would need to do, even though they break down because of sin. And yet, life is amazing, Father, and you designed it to be that way. And you give us good gifts, Father. You save us from situations that could harm us. You, you help us. You provide for us. Most of all, Father, you've given us your Son. We deserved death because of our sin. But he came and paid the penalty for our sin that we might be able to have a relationship with you freely and to know you. And Father, for that, we are exceedingly grateful. Father, we also thank you for revealing yourself to us in the Word. And we thank you for the way the Word 
renews our mind. The Word changes our hearts, Father. And so we pray now, Lord, that the Word that we've read would change our minds, it would change our outlook, and it would shape the way we walk each day before you. Father, we love you. In your Son's name we pray, amen. Oh, I don't have the clicker. You want to advance to the first slide for me and I'll start setting it up? I got a good story. You ever realize you're about to make a terrible mistake or you've just started to make it? You ever been there? I worked at a grocery store called Fairway. The locals here understand that. Uh, Those of you from Ohio, I don't think you have Fairways in Ohio. Uh, That's okay. It's just a grocery store. And I just want to tell you how the aisles are set up, which I know you're like, awesome. Came here Wednesday to find out a grocery store layout. But this is important. Here is an aisle. Okay, On this side you have product. On this side you have product. It starts over there and it goes all the way over to there. And it goes the length of the store, but right down the middle, the aisle stops, and there's like a, a, an aisle straight down the middle, okay? So it's almost like your chairs, except for social distancing is given like multiple rows. But imagine the rows of chairs starting here in the middle and going all the way to the end, but then there's this one aisle in the center of the store. So if you go up an aisle and you want to get to the next one, you can just cross over in the middle. It's like a pretty typical grocery store setup. So I was working there. And uh, me and my buddy were pulling a pallet. How many know what a pallet is or a pallet jack? Okay. It's basically the front of a forklift and then like a radio flyer red wagon handle. Okay. So like you pull it down and you can like direct the wheels. You can like pull it around or you can step on the pallet, put your foot in the middle and Fred Flintstone it down the aisle and then crank it. And you can do the sweet spin move only when customers are not around. Okay, <clears throat> never happened when customers were around, or at least they were looking, okay? So anyways, they, they warn you about pallet jacks when you start working for you. you got to be careful. You, gotta, you, can, you pull around a corner, and you can think you're clearing it, but you got to look at the back. Otherwise, you might clip the corner and knock stuff off your pallet. Did me and my 17-year-old coworker listen very well? <sighs> you know, we did. He, he didn't. I did. He was pulling. So we knew that it was harder to go down the center because it was more narrow. And then they often stack product on the end where there's that weird wonky end of the thing and it looks better. And so, you know, you got flour here, you got M&Ms here, I don't know, whatever. Well, we were going and we wanted to cut through and so he was pulling and he thought he cleared it and then turned and went to go. And right here, this high was a stack of 24 bottles per box of beer. And there were like four boxes. <clears throat> and you, you see it. And I'm, I'm standing here and I look over and I see it like right here. And in my mind I went, uh-oh. And it was like slow motion. And it crashed. And it was in boxes. But some of the top ones were exposed. So you could like take out the six packs. And it was like beer everywhere. And it was the thick molasses kind. It was just all over and there's glass and you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself yeah we gotta watch the back tire of the pallet (laughs) and so we had to clean up this smelly gross glass filled stuff okay so have you ever been there you 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 know you know what you're supposed to do and you're like it'll work it'll work and then uh oh maybe you've been there these guys in these pictures have been there so he's going to, I think I've seen this video. He's doing a front wheelie. So, oh, thank you. Far more than rubies is her worth right there. Mm. 
Thank you, dear. So a front wheelie on a motorcycle, I've never done one, but you basically, it works like this. You accelerate really fast, and then you hit the brakes really hard, and your front wheel goes like this. But you don't want to hit them so far that you cartwheel, okay? You want to hit it just enough that you go up on your front wheel, and then you let go, and you kind of like ride for a while. So he's doing that. Do you see that thing on the side that's squirting? And do you see how the wheels, that's his strut or his shock? It's, I, I think it's maybe a strut. And, and you know what that stuff is coming out? That's the internal fluid to make it soft and when you hit a bump. And, and so apparently the maintenance was lower. He'd done one too many wheelies. And do you see his face? Uh-oh. <laughs> now, is it, is it a wise move? Is it a smart idea to do a front wheelie on a motorcycle going really? No, for many reasons, but also that right there. Uh-oh. <laughs> you can see the ramp. Okay, the ramp's way over here. And he's, you've ever seen those guys on a the bike? They get up and they let go of their bike and then they grab it again, you know. He's looking, uh-oh, bike's over there. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that ended poorly. This one's good. Oh. oh. Here it comes, maybe. Yeah, can you play that for me? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you're up there and you just know what's going to happen and you're, uh-oh. <laughs> okay, if this gives it away. <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> that was me two years ago. I went down in gym shorts, not a swimsuit. Swimsuits are meant to stay where they are. Gym shorts are meant to be airy. I had a rash, like a scab, basically, all the way, and it bruised. Oh, it was bad. My son, like, bashed his head. It was great. <laughs> Uh-oh, <laughs> did anyone see the braces go down? I'm, I'm sitting here, and they go right by me, and two of them catch air, and then boom, boom, double bounce on their chests. Like, you see this <laughs> right here. I'm not kidding. I could put, like, four theology books right under him, and he would just go sailing over them. <laughs> Uh-oh, boom. <laughs> Austin's like, uh-oh, <laughs> those are feet. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, that's got to hurt so bad. But, you know, he's up in the middle of the trick. He's like, this is great. This is Uh-oh. Do you want to press play on this one so I don't mess it up again? He's just walking. I'm going to walk across the lake. I'm sure the... I Uh-oh. That first crack, I'm sure he's... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> now you think about it, there's this bull chasing me, now he's probably running on purpose. Oh, I'll go into the river, it won't chase me. Uh-oh. <laughs> now what's consistent about all these uh-ohs? In every one of them, you're, you've committed and there's no way to undo what you've just done. The braces mid-air couldn't stop and be like, I'm not going to go down this slip and slide. <laughs> The dude in the basketball, I shouldn't have jumped over this car. Can't go back and not jump. You can't go back and not pull the pallet jack around the giant case of bottles. And there's sometimes in life where maybe not everyone knew better because the slip and slide is obviously very safe. But a lot of those other things like running with the bulls, yeah, you know you could get, get hit. Jumping off a jump, yeah, you could know that. <clears throat> I knew about the pallet jack. Sometimes you have an uh-oh in life when you knew you shouldn't, you knew what you should have done, but you tried 
and you realize it as it's happening and you see the train crash, the train wreck happening and all you can do is watch. Today, Solomon wants his son to understand an uh-oh moment. He wants his son to understand that at some point, it's too late for wisdom. He can tell his son. He can instruct the son. He can say, this is how you do it to avoid these things, son. But the minute he does the action, he's going to remember all his dad's advice and he can't stop what's coming next. So there is a time when it's too late for wisdom. It's not that it's... It's not that it's not the right time for wisdom, but you can't go back and undo it. So today we're going to walk through the passage. There's three main sections. First, we're going to see wisdom's warning. So wisdom here is personified. Wisdom's not a person. Well, there is a person who's wisdom. He created the world. He had wisdom at the beginning. It was right at his right hand as he created everything. It's Jesus. But beyond that, wisdom is an idea. It's the fear of the Lord. But here, Solomon pretends wisdom's a lady, and he he personifies it. We do this. We do this with animals. We do this as ideas. And so this is a personification. It happens three times in the book of Proverbs. It happens here, uh, chapter chapter, 8 and chapter 9. And it's meant to, to show the son what wisdom is doing at all times and how wisdom will respond if you don't respond to her. And so look with us in verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Here we see that wisdom's call is available. It's available to all people. At the city streets, I mean, if you went to Times Square in New York, well, right now you probably wouldn't. You'd probably get, you'd probably have to wear a mask and get infected or something. But if you were there, if you've ever seen like New Year's ball drop or whatever, there's so many people. Or you go to a football game, or you just go to a mall on a Saturday morning, or go to Fairway on a Saturday morning, and it's like there are people everywhere. Is wisdom? Why is why does Solomon say wisdom's in that place calling out? What's he trying to say? He goes on to say that she's at the head of the noisy streets. She's in the markets where all the business is taking place. She's at the city gates. What's the city gates? In this day and age, the city gates is where a lot of business took place. It's where people gathered. Uh, Today we might say it's like a coffee shop, a park, a restaurant. It's like lots of ideas of where people gather to just converse. And those are the places she's calling out. That's weird. I don't ever remember going to Fairway on a Saturday morning to bag groceries and seeing wisdom walk by and say things to me. Is, is he saying wisdom is ever-present? What he's getting at is wisdom is available. Everyone, where it's well-populated, can access this. No one has to have some special thing. Wisdom is actually trying to get your attention. Wisdom is telling you, hey, listen to me. So it's not like it's hidden. Now, compare that with the gang of robbers we talked about yesterday. Do you think that gang of robbers was in the city gates Hey, we need a fourth man for our ambush. Anyone? Just give us all your money and we'll split the profits. Anyone? Or at the, walk into a coffee shop today. Hey, um, we're going to go make a bank heist and some people probably get killed. Anyone want to come help us? That's not how it goes. That's probably very secretive. 
But wisdom is available. It's not like you have to be someone special. It's not like you have to have a certain club you fit into. Wisdom actually wants you to know about her. The gang was probably talking quietly when they told Solomon's son about this. So the contrast here between what we just talked about in the last chapter and what we're now talking about in this chapter is very obvious, especially to the reader of this originally. Uh, one, if you think about it, like, have you ever heard someone say, well, that's not very ladylike? Like, there's these ideas of how ladies and men act. Is she being ladylike? I mean, she's screaming, basically. She cries aloud. It's like the same idea, like a baby crying. Like, I, I don't know that babies ever cry quietly or at the right time, you know. When we had a baby, man, it's like the most inconvenient time to start crying out there. It's not like they're taking into account of everyone else. She's, she's crying out. She's yelling. She's, she's crying out at noisy streets. She's speaking at the city. You know, how many people do you, at the city gate do you think asked her to come and speak? She's, she's inserting herself. So one commentator said it like this. Lady wisdom is no gentle persuader. She shouts, she pleads, she scolds, she reasons, threatens, warns, and she even laughs. Pulpit bashing and hellfire preaching, if ever there were, okay, maybe not quite, all quite unladylike, and nowadays also quite unfashionable and even frowned upon. The idea is that this lady understands the importance of what she's saying, and she wants you to know, and she's emphatic and she's trying to get your attention. It'd be very hard to overlook someone like that, wouldn't it? There's the yeller in the back, like I'm, like I'm preaching and someone back there is yelling at you. you know, could you tune that out? That'd be hard. You're in, you're in a noisy street. You, hers is the voice you could hear above the taxi horns. In the coffee house with the cheesy music, hers is the voice that would go above the radio. So this is, she's trying to get your attention. The point that Solomon's making is, son, are you listening to her? Now, in the last chapter, where does wisdom come from? Godly, wise parents who know the Lord. I think you could say the word of God and the teachings of the parents. And so, when your parents tell you something, when your pastor tells you something, when a trusted friend who's giving you wise, godly counsel is speaking to you, that is lady wisdom yelling. It's not actual yelling. But Lady Wisdom is trying to get your attention. God's word is trying to get your attention. I think I muted it. There we go. What's her offer? She's making an offer here. She's appealing for you to do something. It's that, hey, you need to heed my correction. You need to listen. Remember Pastor Phil said that the word of God does something to keep you on the right path. You get off the right path and what does it do? It corrects you. So you get back to the right path. That's what Lady Wisdom is trying to do right here. Verse 22, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? And will, how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate their knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, my correction, my rebuke, then I will pour out my spirit on you. Then I will make my words known to you. Do you sense the tone of exasperation in what she's saying in verse 22. Like, her hands just drop down. Oh man, how long are the, the, the simple going to want to be simple? And the fools going to hate knowledge? And the scoffers just going to love their scoffing? She's exasperated. She's tried so hard. By the way, do you notice what you just saw in that verse? It's all three of the characters of folly in the book. 
The simpleton who's really impressionable, the fool who is sinful, and the scorner who's out and out rebellious and, and kind of fist in God's face. All right there, and she's throwing her hands up. When are these people going to listen? But she doesn't stop. She keeps trying to call out. If you are a mentor or a, 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 a you're discipling someone, if you have a voice of influence in someone else's life, if you're a parent and you have a child, you're going to get exasperated when they don't listen. Lady Wisdom got exasperated, but she's not stopping. She continues. She persists. Don't give up. Don't give up. It honors the Lord to continue speaking like this. It's a very targeted offer. There we go. Oh, now we're into the next section. Sorry here. We'll talk about Lapton in a very minute. It's very targeted. She's addressing all three of these people, and she really wants to hit the simple. The simple, might, they have a chance to be changed, but the fools hate this knowledge, and the scorners don't like it either. And so she's trying to get their attention. In verse 33, I think you sense this hopelessness. There's just She's thrown her hands up. It's very exasperated. So her offer is a warning to heed her correction, but you can sense she kind of just knows you're not going to listen. She knows the person. And imagine Solomon, all the sons of Israel that he's writing to, maybe his own, maybe all the youth. He sees people hear the right thing and they go their own path and they get, it hurts. And he's just, oh, listen, guys, listen. Now, in a moment ago, I asked you about this. Maybe you have someone you're working with, but have you ever been that person who exasperates someone else? Have you ever heard over and over and over and over and over, be careful with the pallet jack, Stearns, and then one day it happens? And that's not always pallet jack. Sometimes it's a lot worse. Now, this is the part where wisdom gets really rude. If we had a hashtag, it would be hashtag savage, I believe. She's just going to be really harsh. So verse 24 you see the reason that she laughs. The reason she's laughing is not because she's malicious, not because she likes and want, likes you to get heard, not because she wants you to gloat over, she wants to gloat over how bad you are, but she laughs because you won't heed, you won't listen. So look at 24. I have called you. Because I've called you, and what did you do? You refused to listen. Because I stretched out my hand, like I offered, here it is, here's the wisdom, just take it. And what did you do? You refused. No one has heeded this. Because you ignored my counsel, she told you you wouldn't listen. Because you would have none of my reproof, she corrected you and she told you this is the wrong path and no one would listen. Because of that, this seems harsh. I'm going to laugh at your calamity. Does anyone else feel uncomfortable right now? Like God's word is saying wisdom is going to laugh at you when you, when you fall apart. She says, I'm going to mock you when terror strikes you. When terror like a storm strikes you and calamity comes on you like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, when Job had his whole life fall apart, that would have been a calamity. And yet wisdom would have laughed at him. Doesn't that seem horrible? Something about that seems out of character. What's Solomon getting at? Does he think that if you see a fellow Christian who doesn't listen to counsel and they end up paying the price for it, that you should laugh at them? Is that what he's saying? That seems totally out of character in the Bible. Gentleness, love, unconditional regard, caring for someone, doing the best for them, being persistent. That seems to go against that. So why is he saying this? I think this is my theory. All those pictures we showed, 
you do something stupid, so you're the guy on the bike, and you ramp, and you let go of your handlebars, and then you see your bike's back there, and you say, uh-oh. In that moment, in your head, all the times people said, you know, that's a pretty dangerous sport. You could hurt yourself. What comes back in your mind as you're floating over the pavement? I, I should not have done this. And that is the wisdom coming back. And do you, have you ever said something like this? You make a horrible mistake. You knew better and you're like, oh, I'm so stupid. What kind of an idiot does this? What are you doing? You're mocking yourself. You know you did the stupidest thing ever and you know you're a total idiot. Sorry, I'm not trying to call you idiots. I'm saying you might call yourself an idiot, okay? I'm not calling you an idiot. I call myself an idiot. But do you see the point? You knew better. You persisted and now the consequences have fallen and you can't stop them and you realize I've been a fool. So Lady Wisdom is sort of mocking you, but I actually think it's the wisdom you rejected in you that comes back and you realize, I have been a fool. I'm an idiot. I never should have done that. I was backing out of my driveway one time and I had a stick shift. And I always backed out really fast. And there's two reasons I go turtle speed now when I back out my car. Actually, there's three. One reason is I was flying out my parents' driveway. And as I'm going out, I'm going back, I feel the gear shift go. And I think, oh, no, my transmission just did something bad. And so I hit the clutch, and I put it in neutral. And then I, it, my peripheral vision sees this beige blur go out from under my car, straight up to the front steps where my mom is sitting. And I realized that was my dog, Maggie. She had gone, she had been in the driveway, I hadn't seen her, and I went fast and she got between the tires and the gear shift linkage hit her and she rolled and shot out. And like, I didn't, she was fine. My mom was not. <laughs> the, the laser eyes the 17-year-old Stearns got were so bad. Number two, I was backing out at my house. We just bought a house, Robin and I, and I was going fast. I'm like 27 at the time, 20, no, 31. I don't know, I'm older. I'm over 30. 33, I think. Yeah, 33. And I'm going back, and I get to the edge of my driveway, and I stop. So I'm straddling the sidewalk. I look this way, and then I look this way, and here's an old man. I had not seen this guy with a cane who walks down our street every day, and he had just stopped. I think he knew what was going on. And if he had not stopped, I think I would have run him over. And like the shee-hee-bee-hee-bee, you know, that whole thing, the cringe. And I'm so thankful I didn't. Third one, I backed into my coworker, wrecked his grill at work, and now he put it back together, but he's always making fun of me. So you know what I do? I'm very slow when I back out. How did I learn that lesson? How did I learn that wisdom? A lot of near misses. But in my life, I've had a lot of near misses, and I've had a lot of hits. Have you had some hits? Can you think of something that you did that you knew you shouldn't have done that? And it ended up being pretty bad. Solomon wants to help you. Listen. Listen now while you can. Because at some point, the Tower of Bottles is starting to tip. The ice is starting to crack. And you can't change the outcome. There's nothing to do. You're going down that path, and you can't stop it, and then you're going to realize it. And so this is kind of a strong warning, and it's something you need to take seriously. It's something I need to take seriously. 
So the laughing, the mocking, the calamity, it's not that wisdom, I mean, it says wisdom's laughing at you, but I think the idea is that you knew the truth, you knew better, and yet you persisted. You shouldn't have done it. You knew better, and you're going to mock yourself. You're going to regret what happened. It's one thing if you don't know what's happening and you make a mistake, and you're, oh man, that was bad. But when you knew better, and it was a sin, and you persisted and paid the price, you're going to look back with regret. And Solomon wants his son to be wise, not the fool. Now this is the worst part. Eventually, there's going to be silence from wisdom. Verse 28, then they will call upon me, but I won't answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Why won't they find her? She has been out trying to get their attention. She's out advertising. She's calling. She's got the sandwich board and she's waving the funny sign at the going out of business. Like she's doing everything she can to get your attention. And now when you're like, hey, can you come help me? She's like, no. Why is that? Again, I don't think it's a malevolent, malicious intent on the part of wisdom. It's again, it's describing what happens when you don't listen to wise, godly counsel and you walk the path of sin. Why does this happen? Why does this happen? Well, uh, oh, hold on, a fool's regret. They will call upon me, but I won't answer. They'll seek me diligently. They won't find me. Why? Because they hated knowledge. Now, the problem with all of my illustrations, well, most all of my illustrations, is they're not really moral things. Per se. I mean, you're jumping off a ramp on a bike that's a little stupid, you know. But is it sin? I mean, athletes do all kinds of silly things, you know. Um, is, it, is, it, is it sinful to walk across a frozen lake? It might not be smart. And if you really know it's dangerous, then I think it's, it is sin to not do what's right. But if you think it's safe, okay, you know, it's an unwise move. But here, that's not the issue. The issue is not, oh, did, did I know about that, that danger or not? Look at what it says. You hated knowledge, and it's not just any knowledge. It's fearing the Lord. You hated knowledge, and you did not choose the fear of the Lord. And so that's where these issues are moral. These issues are sin. These issues are, will you obey God? They would have none of my counsel. They despise my reproof. Where do we find counsel? Where do we find the counsel of God? Where do we find the reproof of the Lord? Primarily, we find it right here in the Word. How do you despise this? Well, number one, you can start by not knowing it. It's really hard to say, yeah, I'm going to do what God wants if you don't know what this book says. Well, why don't you know? Well, it might be that you haven't spent time studying it. We've had a lot of good advice on how to study the Bible recently, specifically last night, specifically that handout that gives you the best definition of meditation I've ever read. I love that definition. Are you doing that regularly? That's the way to learn the fear of the Lord. The other way we despise the wisdom of God is when a wise older, godly believer comes to us in love to say, brother or sister, I see something in your life. I want to talk to you about it because I love you. You do this thing. 
Do you understand that is not the way God wants us to live? Do you listen to that? If your pastor says, are you sure that's the way you ought to live? In the Bible, it says this. How does that square with what you do? Oh, no, it's fine. I can do that. When you don't live according to this, and when a believer comes to you and says, look, I see something, I love you, and I want to point this out, and you're like, "Uh uh-uh. That's despising knowledge. That's despising wisdom. That's saying, God, I don't want what you have for me. So what's the result of this? What is the result of this? Well, you're going to regret what happens. Verse 30. uh, Oh, sorry, I went one slide ahead. Here's the fool's regret. What's the regret? Verse 31. Therefore, they will eat the fruit of their way. It's going to happen. You made the decision. People say like, well, you made the bed. Now you've got to lie in it, something like that, okay? Um, you've made the decision. You've decided I'm not going to do what God wants. I'm going to walk off the path. I'm going to do my own thing. And now you're in this bad situation you can't change. And guess what? You can't change it. And that's the point. And that, this moment, when you're standing in the midst of something that's fallen apart because you knew better, that's when you start to regret what you did. And there's no going back. You can be forgiven. We'll talk about that. But you can't really undo those things. It's like trying to put toothpaste back in the tube. You squeeze it out. Good luck getting that back in. Now, I actually have learned how to put a small amount back in. So my daughter is really tiny, and I squirted too much out. But I I was able to wipe some back in. But you should have seen the outside of the tube. I mean, it's all this extra junk all over. You can't do it. It's totally inefficient. And in life, you might be able to mitigate the consequences a tiny bit. But sometimes it's irreparable. It's going to happen. And then what does it say at the very end of 31? It says, and they'll have the fill of their own devices. Man, if I'm full, I've, I've usually eaten plenty. And I would say, oh yeah, I'm full. But generally, the idea I think of here is when I go to the buffet. By the way, if I were to ask you what kind of your favorite food is, like what kind of you know, uh, pizza, Italian, you know, whatever, whatever, Mexican, Chinese, whatever. And then you were to ask me, I would say buffet. I love buffet. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Like buffet, I can have it all, and I can have as much as I want. And I have this trick at a buffet. I get my plate, and I put like a minuscule amount in it. And I go back. I eat it, and then I go back up again, and I put another minuscule amount, because then I can get like 10 plates, and it feels like I'm getting my money's worth. But when I used to do it, I'd load that plate up. I'd eat the whole thing. I'd go back, load it up again, and then my stomach would hurt. And you know when you eat something that's good, and then your stomach starts to hurt, and you can never eat that thing again because it made you sick? That's what's going on here. I have a friend who her mom passed away. And at the, when you gather with your family afterwards and you all talk, she was eating vegetables. And she just got overwhelmed with it, got sick to her stomach and got rid of all the vegetables. Sorry. And to this day, she can't eat carrots and celery because it just makes her nauseous. Um, I've heard of people who, like, the parents catch them smoking cigarettes when they shouldn't, and the parents like, okay, and they make them smoke the entire pack right there, and they're so sick, and guess what? It just, oh, they could never, they don't want it again. That's the idea here. You wanted a little more, you wanted that temptation that would fill you up, and then you get it, and you get sick of it, and it nauseates you. And that's what happens. Now, I want to raise an issue at this point about unanswered calls. Unanswered calls. 
I'm going to flip over to James. You probably have it memorized. I want to make sure I read it properly. So I'm going to read. You don't have to. You can flip to James 1 if you want. In James 1, James addresses an issue where Christians are desperate for wisdom. And so James is there to help them understand this is how to get wisdom. And so in verse 2, he says, he's talking about trials. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. And that's really cool, by the way. The, I, the Greek word underlying is, sounds a lot like the word polka dot. It's like poika. And the idea is that the trials that come are all shapes and all sizes. So your house might burn down. If that's happened to someone, I'm not trying to pick on you, and I, I'm very sorry that your house burned down. But that would be a horrible trial, wouldn't it? Uh, our, fam our, our family faced cancer last year. That was a horrible trial. But sometimes it's dropping your cell phone and breaking the screen. Are you going to be mad at God? Are you going to have a bad attitude? And so trials are of wide variety. Don't always think of the worst trial ever because to test your faith, God doesn't always have to make your whole life fall apart. He can just make your phone not work and your anger comes out and there's your sinful heart that he wants you to see so you'll deal with it. In that moment where you're facing a trial that tests your faith, what should you do? He says, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, by the way. Um, when Roman soldiers, they had cleats on the bottom of their boots, when they would put their feet down and lock their shields and stand there and they're not moving no matter what barbarian comes at them, that's the idea behind stand fast or steadfastness. The idea is you're immovable, nothing's moving you. So God allows trials into your life to see where your faith is. How much, how much will it take for you to move your faith in God? Think about Job. Has anyone endured more than Job other than Jesus Christ? I don't think so. Not in the biblical record, in my opinion. There's maybe, maybe you could make an argument for someone else, but at least Job is up there. Did he curse God to his face? No. In fact, that was Satan's contention. God, he's actually, Satan's saying, you're not a good God. The only reason Job serves you is not because you're so good, God. It's because you've given him a bunch of stuff. And God's like, take away his stuff. Takes away his stuff in a horrible manner. Does Job get mad at God and curse him, like Satan says? No. That's because the test of his faith revealed how genuine it was. Satan comes back and God says, hey, look. And Satan's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. The only reason he doesn't curse you is not because you're so good. It's because you've given him life. Take away his health, he'll curse you to your face. And when he took away his health, who said he should curse God to his face? His wife can you imagine the person you're supposed to be able to rely on the most, whether it's your wife, your spouse, your best friend, your parents, telling you, curse God? Would that not be the hardest thing to just give in to him? Like, oh yeah, right, you're right. God is horrible. But what does Job do? No, 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 honey, don't talk like that. That's how unbelieving women talk. We don't talk like that. Trust the Lord. He didn't curse God. Is that Job's faith that's being tested and showing to be true? Yes. And what else is that showing? How good Job's God is. In that context of your faith being tested, whether it's dropping your phone, whether it's something much more tragic, how you respond before the Lord is showing you what your faith in God looks like. And at that moment, it says, if any of you lack wisdom in verse 5, let him ask God. Who, does it say he gives miserly like Scrooge? No, he says he gives generously. Who does he give it to? With all people. Anyone who asks, he'll give it to. 
It's not just a certain type of people or a certain class of people. He'll give it to anyone who asks. And he gives it without reproach. God is not the kind of God that when you come to him, he's like, oh, you're here again. Man, this is like the 10th time in this hour. (sighs) You really can't live your life, can you? Should have listened to me. Told you so. I have a told you so story. I've actually told it before. You might have heard it. My dad, we had a cherry, uh, uh, a crabapple tree in the backyard. We cut it down. We had the stump, and Dad was going to take the axe and chop the stump up. And I was 11 or something, 11 or 12, and I wanted to use the axe. I'm like, Dad, can I use the axe? And he's like, uh, and you can see Dad's look. He knows me. Do I give my son an axe? That sounds like a terrible idea. But he relents, and he's like, okay, but listen, Andy, you've got to be careful. When you swing it, you want to make sure you hit with the the head of the axe, you don't want to miss and hit the wood, you'll break the axe handle. Now, he told me this many times, and I started sh- like brushing on, Dad, Dad, I know, I know I won't break the axe handle. Totally disrespectful. Okay. So he puts a nail on the top because it's a little loose, he gives it to me, and all of my 11 or 12-year-old, I'm holding this axe that weighs like half my weight, and I'm going to go give that stump what's coming. You know, and I'm all excited. My, my, my self-pride... I probably looked, if you looked at me, I would have been like inflated like a balloon from the neck up. You know, I'm like, I'm going to destroy this stump, yeah. And I'm not kidding, my first whack, totally missed the stump, hit the neck, crack, and there's this big piece of wood that pops up. And it was this, wisdom mocked me. I mean, I heard the thwack, Uh uh-oh. And I lit two minutes before dad was telling me, be careful what you do. If you overshoot it, you're going to break the axe handle. So I had to walk in and be like, Dad, and his back's to me. Yes, son, I broke the axe handle. Just pause. Okay. Takes the axe handle, didn't upbraid me, didn't reprove me, didn't say I told you so. He just went to Sears and, or wherever and got a new handle. It was really gracious. But in that moment, the walk of shame from the stump to the garage... Wisdom was mocking me. Wisdom was chiding me. I mean, I knew I was the biggest idiot. And that's the regret you face. Now, in that moment, what if I had cried out for wisdom? What if I said, God, God, I don't know what to do. God, tell me. you got to save me from this situation. God, give me some wisdom. Have you ever been in that situation? Everything in your life goes wrong. You're like, God, I don't know what to do. And you pray, and he doesn't talk back. He doesn't answer. He doesn't give you any help. And you're like, why does God even exist? What's happening? It's not that he wasn't going to give you wisdom, but the wisdom he offers is when you face the trial. Lady Wisdom is saying, if you don't listen to the advice that you get and you persist in your sinful path, when it happens, there's nothing to do. You need to get wisdom before you need wisdom. You need to listen to instructions before the moment comes that you need to obey those instructions. You need a purpose in your heart to follow God before you're this close to the coworker that you want to kiss who's not your spouse. Before your hand is right here on the mouse and you're about to click that link. 
before your child who's exasperated you is said the stupidest thing and you're about to let him have it and the angry words are coming out at that kid. Before that moment is when you need to heed correction from the Word of God. And as the words come out to your child, as the click happens and the thing appears on the screen, as the lips connect, you're going to go, God, give me wisdom. I don't know what to do. But he gave you wisdom and now there's nothing you can do to fix it. This is pretty direct and this is pretty hard. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be this direct and hard, but lady wisdom is direct. And sometimes you just need the business end of encouragement. Sometimes you need the Bible to tell you it like it is. If you're walking down that path, if you're cultivating something with someone who's not your spouse, if you're habitually going to these websites, if you are always angry with the children, if you are gossiping about every living person you know, if you can't be kind to your fellow brother or sister in Christ to save anything, man, you're, you're the fool. You're the fool who has all of the understanding, all of the wisdom right in front of you. All of the godly counselors who will help you understand what God wants for your life and you're not listening. And when that relationship falls apart and when that child and you have to talk and when your boss fires you because he sees where you've been on the internet, it's too late for wisdom. You needed it before. You needed to store it up, which is actually what we're going to talk about tomorrow. So sometimes we blame God for not answering prayer. We blame God for not heeding our call, but it's right here. Why is that happening? Because you didn't listen. You didn't listen. Pray for wisdom. God will give it to you, but you might learn it in a different way now as you're going through the consequences. Pray for wisdom, but it might not look the same way after that. And you might have to go do some more things. And remember, sometimes these consequences, you can't get out from under them. What's the lesson? What's the lesson here? Oops. Back. Can you go back and just show all those? The lesson here is a couple. Look, look, in, look in verse 32. What kills the simple, the naive person, the one who's not really paying attention? What kills? It's that they turned away from the truth. Have you turned away from God's truth? Is there an area where you know you shouldn't be doing this? You know it's wrong. You, you know it. Maybe you even heard a sermon about it this week, and you're not turning away from that wrong thing. You know what's called when you turn away from wrong things and you turn to the Lord in obedience? It's called Repentance. Is there an area that you're unrepentant about and you're just persisting on that path? Now, when I say it like that, you think of the stiff-necked scorner who's like, yeah, I'm going to go my own way. But sometimes it's just not doing anything and letting it happen. It's not fighting it. It's not deciding to make a difference. It's not deciding to be open about your sin with someone who can help you. Are you persisting? Because if you're not turning away, that's the thing that kills the fool. It says the complacent, or that kills the simple. The complacency of fools destroys them. Uh, complacency is an interesting term. Here it means careless, uh, careless security or ease. Have you ever been careless? You know, complacent. You just don't really care. You're kind of apathetic. 
and then you find out something really hurt you. So my, my this is funny, like my mom, this is really young. I'm maybe four, and my mom is, I'm picking up this extension cord in the basement where it's connected. And mom's like, Andy, don't touch that. Put that down. And I'm like, like a four-year-old. Just giving him that look like, I don't know if I'm going to do what you say. It'll probably be fine. You know, just, yeah, whatever. And I put it together, and whoo, the, the wires were exposed, and Dad hadn't put electrical tape on it, and I got shocked. I'm crying and wailing. And why? I just I didn't care what my mom said. So we're kind of relaxed. You ever been that way about sin? You're just kind of complacent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I probably shouldn't, but what's going to happen? Well, sometimes really bad things happen. And, and what is it that kills the simple? They turn away. What is it that destroys the fool? It's their carelessness. Spiritually, are you being careless? Just think about how you spend your time. How often are you with the other brothers and sisters in Christ at your local church or in your life? How often are you in the Word? How often are you thinking about how can I serve God with my whole life, like Romans 12, 1 and 2 say? If you're kind of complacent about that, kind of careless, kind of haphazardly going about life, that is something that destroys people. No one ever gets into an adulterous relationship thinking, I think this year I'm going to go commit adultery. You're being careless. Eh, I'll hang out with her. Oh, yeah, I'll say this. Well, I probably shouldn't talk like that to her or him or whatever. Billy Graham had a rule where he would never be in a, a room alone with a woman who was not his wife because he knew that was an opportunity for his flesh and for other people to get the wrong idea. Mike Pence has the same rule, and he gets like made fun of for it. But there's wisdom in those sorts of things. If you know the Internet is a problem for you, you don't need a smartphone. You can get rid of it. They actually have existed without them before. There are internet filter softwares. There are accountability things. Like you, you can do things about this. But if you're careless, you're like, yeah, it's probably not going to happen to me. That's what kills the fool. It ends up destroying him. Now, what's the good news, though? Verse 33, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without the dread of disaster. So if you have a consistent sin that you struggle with, that you give yourself to and you try not to, and you give yourself to and you try not to, you know the dread of disaster that it's talking about. The thing you've been hiding that you hope no one ever finds out about. If you just obey wisdom, that whole fear goes away. You don't have to be afraid. You'd be bold as a lion. There's nothing that bothers you because you know you're walking uprightly before the Lord. Here's the hope. This is the greatest part about this. Look at verse, hold on, I got these written down. Verse 23. What is wisdom offering there if you turn at my reproof? Okay? Turning means you're walking in a path, you're told, hey, that's the wrong path, that's the right path. Are you going to turn and go to that path? What do you got to do to get to that path? That's it. Turn and walk that way. That's all you have to do. Did wisdom say, if you turn and grovel, if you turn and really do a lot of good things to make up for all your bad things, if you turn and really mean it, okay, then I won't. Then you can walk this path. No, it's literally turn. That's it. Turn. You can turn. You can stop going this way and go that way. 
You can start being open about your sins with other believers. You can get to talk to your pastor or talk to your well-known Christian friend who's wise or or well-wise Christian friend. Go to verse 24. What do you do in verse 24? Because I've called upon you and what did you do? You refused to listen. Can you listen? Now, listen here on the slide means obey. All you got to do is obey. I know that's the hard thing. But it's not turn and work, earn, show you mean it. It's not listen as an obey and make up for what you did wrong. Like, you don't have to do that. You just turn. You're in the middle of your sin. You can turn, and that's it. Turn. Can you do that? Yeah. You don't have to pay money to do that. You don't have to do any of the make yourself better. You don't have to self-improve. You can just turn back to the path God wants. And then look at verse 33. The word listen is repeated. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure. Now listen again means to obey. The gospel that we talk about as Christians is this. I'm a sinner. I deserve death for my sin. There's nothing I can do to solve that problem. No matter how many good things I do, like if it's a scale system, and here's my sin over here, I can never do enough good to outweigh the scale, let alone clean off the scale. I can never, ever do that. There's no hope for me, and there's no hope for you. The good news is that the judge who judges me, Jesus Christ, came down and said, I will pay his fee. I will die his death. I will survive it for him, for you. What do I have to do to take advantage of that? I have to believe it. I have to admit I'm a sinner and I need this, and I have to say, Jesus, please save me. Please save me. That's all you have to do. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good about it. You don't have to like make yourself a better person. And here you see like an echo of that. If you're walking on the path of sin and you're a believer, all you got to do is turn. Repent of this action. Turn in the right direction. Back onto the right path. That's it. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to make yourself more presentable to God. He's already done that in his son. And that's the good news. Do you have a budding relationship that's sin? Turn. Do you have a problem with places on the internet? And don't only think porn. Maybe you like to spend money. Maybe you like to gamble. Maybe, who knows? Turn. Are you an angry parent, always mad at your kids? Turn. Are you a gossip at church? Can you always find out that when people spill the tea, are you always right there listening? When people talk about someone else, are you always, your ears perk up? You can turn. You can turn. That's all you need to do. The question today is, are you willing to submit to God? Fear the Lord. Love the Lord. Heed wisdom and turn. You can do it. The good news is it doesn't cost a dime. Christ has made a way for you to do that, and you can do that. But are you willing? Lady Wisdom is imploring you, turn, listen to my, heed my rebuke. Let's pray. Father, we love you. You are so gracious. You are so kind. Lord, if it If we were to be treated the way our sins required, we would all be in hell at this very moment, paying for eternity for the sins that we have committed against you. Father, you sent your Son to be our sacrifice. If we want to try to fix the problem on our own, Lord, there is no hope and hell awaits. But if we would turn 
to Christ. Trust in him. Ask him to save us. Father, we can have eternal life and we can know you, our true father, who we're supposed to have known since eternity past, since we were created. Father, as Christians, if there's areas in our life where we are sinning, Father, sometimes it feels like there's nothing we could ever do to get out from under those sins. And yet, Father, Lady Wisdom has a message for us. We just have to turn. But Father, the other message is that if we don't turn, at a certain point, it's going to be too late for her counsel. Father, I pray for all of us today, myself, all of the program staff, all of the campers. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Are there areas we need to be turning in, Father? We need to be turning away from those sins, those foolish practices and turning to the fear of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts. And Father, I pray that you would remind us if we, if we know we need to do this and we don't know what to do, I pray we would reach out to another believer to ask for help. This, is, this stuff can't be done on our own, Father, and we need help. Father, I pray for us today, Lord, that this message, that the wisdom of Proverbs would pervade our minds as we go about our days and that you would give us hope that Christ made a way that we can just simply turn. Father, we love you. In his name we pray.